Welcome to the Shining Light Podcast. This is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise with evil, Wyatt. And today we're going to go over an interesting topic, one of my favorite topics. In fact, this actually might be my favorite topic to talk about. Oh, boy. And that is dispensationalism. I'll say that again for you because some people don't like big words. Dispensationalism. Now, we're going to actually do a little bit of a role reversal here, and I'm going to hand over to Patrick Wyatt. Patrick, no compromise with evil, Wyatt. There we go. I got my proper introduction. Well, dispensationalism, there's there's a few things I know pretty well. I tell people there's a lot of things I don't know, but a few things I know pretty well that I do know. And dispensationalism is not one of them. So this is something I'd like to learn about. And here's the opportunity today for us to learn from Sam. This is one of his favorite topics. So who better to teach us? Sam, what is dispensationalism? Well, first of all, I got a whole list of people who'd be better to learn from than me on dispensationalism. Uh, Reynold Showers is one. Okay, Reynold Showers. Uh, he wrote a book, There Really Is a Difference. And I it got outlines, that book. It's a great book. Uh, outlines the difference between dispensational theology and, of course, uh, covenant theology, which is the other side of it. Today, uh, we do have quite a, a upcoming of new covenant theology, also known as uh, neo-Calvinism and things like that, that are that is also opposed uh, to dispensationalism. But they, they try to mix a little bit of dispensationalism in that kind of sort of, maybe not really, but kind of. Um, but Patrick, see, I'm not very good at this side of it. I completely forgot what the question was you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I've been on this, you know, since mine's a fairly easy job this time. The question is, what is dispensationalism? Hey, that's that's a good question to start off <laughs> That's very with. basic, isn't it? That's, yeah. I'm good at basic stuff. Right. You, you know, a lot of people take dispensationalism, and they think that it is points in time. But it's actually not points in time. Now, it, it does cover points in time. Understand that, but it's not specifically saying this is a specific point in time. That's not what dispensationalism is. Dispensationalism, it comes from the Greek word dispensation, uh, comes from the Greek word economia. Now, economia, it's a word that means house management, house management. And so when it's taken into the idea of theology, it's asking the question or answering the question, I should say, how does God manage his house? How does God administer his rule? And there are different ways. Yes, they cover different time periods, uh, but there are different ways that God administers his rule. And so that's kind of the, uh, the, the, the short of what dispensationalism is, is that it's looking at how does God administer his rule? Okay, that sounds pretty interesting. Why is it important for us to know how God administers his rule? Well, that's a very important thing because God is the supreme ruler, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if we look at this idea of God as the supreme ruler, eventually God is the supreme judge. And so we want to be under his rule. We want to go into please God. That is the goal of each Christian is to please God and, of course, to... Um, to adhere to his morality, to adhere to his rules, to adhere to his holiness. Now, his rules aren't arbitrary. That's not what, what I was trying to get at when I say rules. A lot of times people will take that as a, a bad thing, but his rules are actually just a reflection of his character. So really, it's the idea of we want to be like Christ, We want, and that's the idea of being a Christian, is to be like Christ. And of course, these dispensations, these administrations of his rule— show us and help us to become more like Christ. 
So historically speaking, there have been different dispensations of, right. of God, His revelation, how He's managed His house. If I recall correctly, and this may be differing with different people that I've read, there's something around, what, seven different dispensations, or, or is that number correct? No, that's that's absolutely okay. correct. Um, th- there are some who would go and hold to eight, and I think as low as five you can be to still be a dispensationalist. But the, the classic way and the way that I was taught, uh, which the school of thought that I come from, because I think that'll help some people out there, is from Reynolds Showers. Uh, there really is a difference. He also teaches a class on, on dispensationalism and gives many talks to that. And then also Charles Ryrie. Uh, and specifically through the Ryrie Study Bible. That was my first study Bible, something I studied quite a bit. And, and those are the schools of thought that I came from also in, in my upbringing. Uh, but they teach seven different dispensations. And um, also to kind of give just a little bit of, of history, which we'll, we'll probably go into that. We'll talk about dispensationalism a few more times, so I won't give a ton of it. But what was uh, how dispensationalism was popularized was through C.I. Schofield in his Schofield Study Bible. Um, now, there are some issues I have with the Schofield Study Bible. Uh, the, the most blatant one that comes to my mind is the gap theory in Genesis chapter 1. I reject the gap theory and don't believe in that, which Charles Ryrie got right. There is no uh, gap or, or gap theory there. But C.I. Schofield taught a, a gap theory, but he is the one who popularized this idea of dispensationalism, and, and he did have a pretty good view of dispensationalism also. Uh, there were some other concerns about Schofield, but we'll, we'll dive into that when we look at the history of, um, of dispensationalism and the name of the person who, uh, Darby, that's his name. I, I was going to say it just left me, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Darby, and I believe it's mm-hmm. James Darby. Does that sound right? I, I can't remember the first name. Uh, I'll have to look that up. Uh, but, but Darby is the one who I believe originally systematized uh, this idea of dispensationalism. Now, is it Charles Darby? Um, I, I can't remember, so I, I'm okay. going to hold off on that that first uh, name there. But but his last name is is Darby, and if you look up Darby and dispensationalism or dispensation, you know, start to type that out. It, it'll show right up on Google, I'm sure, as to who this guy is. Uh, but he's the one who systematized it. Now, I, I would say that dispensationalism has been throughout all of Christianity, though. But he was the one who really put a system to it. Uh, Schofield is the one who popularized it, and. I don't know, maybe we could say Ryrie is the one who perfected it. <laughs> okay. Well, the gap theory you were just talking about, uh, that is uh, the, the very first part of Genesis, God created heaven and earth, and then there was the speculation that between that and God starting to move on, that there could have been, what, millions of years, and there could have been other civilizations, a pre-Adamic civilization, and all these things could have happened. And what the gap theory is, is, is merely speculation on what could have been there's nothing biblical to it it's just a man's or several men's ideas could have had maybe should have possibly none of it's biblical though is that correct that's correct and and there are really three reasons why people uh, get into the gap theory uh, the first one and this is I believe where uh, CI Schofield came from uh, was to intermingle evolution with uh, Christianity also called theistic evolution. You could mm-hmm. say that's a Hegelian dialectic right there. Uh, synthesis, uh, antithesis, they hit, and you have a, I, I think I started off the synthesis, but it's it's a thesis, not a synthesis, creates the synthesis. Thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. There we go. Uh, and it creates that idea of a, a theistic evolution, that God used evolution. The second reason why people uh, like to um, put a, a gap theory in there, and this is 
This is one that I understand and I, I sympathize with. Uh, that is to uh, put a place of time where uh, Satan fell, uh, where Satan fell. Um, so that way we understand, you know, that he didn't fall later on, but he fell before uh, Eden was was created and, and all that kind of things. I, I can understand where people are coming from, and I think they have uh, some theological uh, f- basis for that, and I understand where they're coming from on that. I would never call that person a heretic. I would never separate uh, from a person coming from that perspective. But I, I just don't see it in Scripture, and I think it's a little presumptuous uh, to go and to put it into Scripture. And so I definitely still hold back and would never teach that and reject that teaching, uh, just simply stating that Satan fell after God uh, created everything because God called everything good. And I think that's also a major downfall uh, to that belief. Um, but the third reason is, is uh, some people are just sci-fi fans, Okay. And they like to throw all kinds of weird stuff in there and, and to come up with these different ideas. I've heard things, uh, you know, about Leviathans and all these different things uh, that were happening. Even the idea that Job was before uh, the Garden of Eden and different things like that. That uh, mm-hmm. the, the craziest one, I think I've heard that people had, um, before sin, before the fall of man, people had, instead of blood running through their veins. They had salt water running through their veins. I mean, all kinds of, of different things <laughs> that people uh, point out about that. But that's getting a little bit away from dispensationalism, I suppose. Well, it definitely kind of, uh, yeah, the gap theory, if you hear gap theory, now you'll know if it's part of that, that it's not biblical. We should actually be moving on to those things that are biblical. So dispensationalism, those seven different periods, that that kind of intrigues me. What What are those different periods? What marked those periods? And then moving from one dispensation to the next dispensation? Okay, great question. In fact, there there are certain things that are distinct with every dispensation. Uh, there, are, there are certain characteristics, and, and let me go ahead and give you these characteristics. Uh, first of all, they must have a particular way of God administering His will. Okay, that, that makes sense. That's what dispensation means, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the second one is, is that they would have that well, at least one ruling factor a ruling factor, something that God gives them as a standard to rule over that person. Uh, another thing is, is that it involves a responsibility of man. Man has a responsibility to submit to what's ruling over him and how God is administering to him. A- another thing that comes in is that each one, uh, each dispensation is characterized by a new divine revelation. God always brings about new revelation when these dispensations come. And to clear it up, the last dispensation is is kingdom. Well, Christ comes himself, and he is a special revelation, right? So, yes. So, just just a second to seize on that. So, the other dispensations are in place. The next dispensation has already been ordained. So, there's here, here's where I'm, I'm coming from. People might think that, oh, this guy's risen up and call himself a prophet. Is this a dispensation? Is that kind of excluded now? We have the different dispensations up to this point. There's yet one to come, right? It's already been called, and that one's the coming of Christ. There are no more people coming with revelations. There are no more prophets according to dispensation. Right. Not not with the idea of bringing a a prophecy as a new revelation. Yeah, a new revelation. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. There there is that idea of still, of course, proclaiming judgment, and you could say that that's— being a, a prophet, I guess some people might say that the idea, the difference between foretell and forthtell, um, 
but that idea of there is no more foretelling uh, of that future e- events and different things like that and in bringing up uh, of that that kind of prophecy uh, of adding to new revelation uh, within the Bible. Uh, there's there's no more of that. So the dispensations are covered within the Bible. That's right. Okay. Right. Uh, that's that's something that's that is important to look at. And this is actually the real definition of sovereignty, of God's sovereignty. You know, some people believe that God's sovereignty means that he's a computer programmer and he programs people's minds. Mm-hmm. That's that's not what it's talking about. His sovereignty, his rule, and then therefore how he administers his rule is through different dispensations. And there's one more uh, thing that, that comes with every dispensation, and that is that each dispensation has divine judgment. That means that man inherently rejects God's dispensation. And the amazing thing is, even in Christ's kingdom, man rejects God's dispensation. There will be, it tells us in the book of Revelation, that Satan will be released and he will deceive as number of the sands of the sea. And this is after they've been in the the millennial reign. They could have gone and high-fived Jesus and seen him on his throne as he is ruling literally from David's throne. So the millennial reigns when Christ will be here for a thousand years, personally ruling over mankind on earth. So it's not just, is, is Jesus Jesus? There will be no doubt in people's mind. This will be the risen Savior, Christ, the conqueror, he who has set evil to that point, destroyed the wicked at the Battle of Armageddon, and has established his reign on earth for a thousand years. This will be Christ that you can see and touch and listen to. And yet Satan will come along and still be able to deceive these people. That's uh, as right. the sands of the sea. Isn't that That's incredible? pretty amazing. And, and that actually is another thing uh, th- that you're talking about that really is a distinction in dispensationalism uh, versus covenant theology or new covenant theology. We, we would say that we hold to a literal interpretation of Scripture. Now, that gets critiqued on the other side because they go and they say, Oh, really? So you believe that in Song of Solomon, that Solomon's wife really had like a tower for a neck or, you know, really had dove's eyes? No, we we understand that the Bible is at times allegorical. We get that. So maybe the better way to put it is that dispensationalists believe in a natural reading of God's word. But the thing is, is that when Christ or, or anything throughout scripture is being actual literal. We don't go and try to spiritualize it or make it into an allegory. That's one of the the big distinctions between dispensationalists and people who are not dispensationalists. So biblical interpretation tells us if something's obviously can't be um, the literal, then it, it can be allegorical unless the case of miracles. In the case of miracles, obviously miracles are miracles. But right. when you're talking about in Revelation chapter 12 that the dragon swept a third of the stars from heaven, we know there wasn't a literal dragon, that that was a symbol, a dragon for Satan. Mm-hmm. A third of the stars would be a symbol for a third of the angels. So right. these are easily understood. Absolutely. To, to play games and say that, well, this can't be the case because this isn't, that's just being um, a little bit... I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for here? Intellectually dishonest. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one way of putting it. So, so we, have, we have that, that the Bible is, is dispensationalist and premillennialist, meaning we believe that 
Christ comes to establish his kingdom. He's not here yet. His kingdom has not been established. He doesn't need our help in establishing a kingdom. What he's asking us to do is find people to fill the kingdom when he comes, right? We are looking for citizens of heaven. We are looking for people to become saved. Christ comes and establishes his kingdom by his own might and glory. That's right. Now, you'd ask me to to list these seven dispensations, which I haven't done yet. Do you still want me to do that? I would love you to do that. Okay. And do you want me to give you just a little bit of description about them? And uh, you can kind of stop me and ask questions if you want to. Sure. Okay. So the uh, we'll start at the beginning. That's I, I don't know if I quite know it well enough to go to work my way backwards. So I'll start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's better for me too, chronological moving forward. Right. So the, the first dispensation is the dispensation of innocence. Now this would be, now, now remember here, this is directly towards uh, God administering his rule over man. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the dispensation of innocence happens to be in the Garden of Eden. Now, the, the ruling factor is that idea of that innocence over, over man. He had an unconfirmed disposition towards God. Adam and Eve had not confirmed that they were either going to follow God yet or that they were going to rebel against God yet. They still had uh, completely a, a moral free agency. There was no... Uh, th- there was no p- uh, sin that was passed down or anything to them. They didn't have sin nature. Uh, they 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 were there, and it was was completely perfect, everything like that. But they had not yet confirmed that they would go and follow Christ, or if they would rebel against Christ. And so it was that innocence that was ruling over them. They also didn't know the difference between good and evil in that sense, since the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. And of course, Christ, we're talking about God, Christ the Godhead, part of the Godhead, Christ uh, the Son, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. So the part of the right. Godhead is the Bible calls it, or the Trinity as we know it as Christians. Right, and, and he's, he's ruling over them in this way. They have that, uh, th- that fellowship with, with God. Now, it's interesting because I thought about this the other day, and I haven't, maybe I sh- I'm speaking a little bit out of turn because I, I haven't really... Uh, really tested this theory out. So if it ends up being crazy and you think, hey, this sounds crazy, just dismiss this because sometimes I've got some crazy thoughts. Uh, and, and then I, <laughs> I, I rethink them. Um, but I, I was thinking about this. A lot of people like to say that Adam and Eve were in perfect fellowship with God. Now, they were in unhindered fellowship, but they really weren't necessarily in perfect fellowship yet because it hadn't been confirmed that they would follow Christ. They were given one command, weren't they? <laughs> That's right. One Just command. one. They're given one job. Don't eat the fruit. <laughs> <laughs> of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else they could eat in the garden, but that tree was forbidden them. So there was, there was the factor right there. They were innocent of good and evil. Mm-hmm. But are you going to be obedient to God or not? Right. And of course, every dispensation has a test, and every dispensation has a failed test on the part of man. And of course, we know that Adam and Eve, they failed that test, and they rejected God. Uh, they gave in to that sin, and they willingly chose to sin. Uh, the, you know, it wasn't God making that happen. They chose to sin. And that's the, the first dispensation. The second dispensation is the dispensation of conscience. Uh, before that time, they didn't have a conscience. Um, they, you know, it was just innocent. 
now they have that guilt. And we can even see that guilt immediately as they were trying to hide themselves from God when he came to see what was going on in the Garden of Eden. We can see that immediately they have a conscience. And this is how they're supposed to rule uh, what's supposed to be ruling over them so that they will now obey God. Now, of course, uh, that that dispensation carried over. We still have a conscience today. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is our conscience perfect, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> our conscience, uh, our conscience can be seared. The Bible tells us um, by repeatedly sinning against God and by not holding it in the contempt that God does for whatever sin or sins that we're involved with. Our conscience can be seared where we no, no longer feel the pangs of guilt towards sin. Right. And so, once again, we can see that we even fail that test today. Uh, In an era of just conscience, we would fail today, and we would go and sin. And uh, hence why, you know, God brought great divine judgment. You know, the judgment there of the the first one was that they were kicked out of the garden. The judgment here, and of course, death came upon every man. Uh, That's a big Mm -hmm. one. And the uh, judgment here is, of course, uh, the flood that comes and hits uh, the worldwide flood, you know, the story of Noah, that kind of ends that next dispensation. That kind of, it does end that dispensation. And I almost actually skipped over this next one, which would have been really kind of funny if I would have skipped over it. Uh, I almost went straight to promise. That's the fourth dispensation. But the third dispensation is government. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that in, makes sense. In Genesis chapter nine, God gives Noah a uh, government and the first uh, lawful thing that he gives him is capital punishment. Okay. And of course, uh, that's one that still carries over today, right? <laughs> yes, we still have capital punishment for such things. Well, it used to be more things, but murder, for, certainly premeditated first-degree murder. Right. Or treason. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been kind of funny if I'd have forgot that dispensation. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Uh, that would have been a little ironic. Um, but we, we have that one, of course, government's not perfect. Uh, we still fail. Our government still fails. It's, it's not perfect, but it still carries over today it is still a minister, uh, for, for righteousness, uh, for, or to God for righteousness sake, if it's obeying God's law. Uh, I, I could, we could talk about that like all day. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I, I'm trying to keep it short here on government. Um, but that's, that's the third dispensation. The, uh, man once again tested, failed, therefore new dispensation comes in, the dispensation of promise. And of course we see, uh, that through the promise of Abraham, that God, uh, made a covenant with Abraham. He promised him that he would bring a savior. Now, once again, even with that promise, man still sinned. We even see it specifically in the life of Abraham where he goes and, and he lies to the Egypt, Egyptians and different things like that. Um, it, it, it's not perfect. Uh, it, it wasn't, it, it, well, I shouldn't say that it wasn't perfect, but man didn't respond perfectly. God's dispensations are perfect. His, his, his standard is always perfect. And God promised Abraham a seed, even as an old man and Sarah, his wife being old, that he would promise him a son that would be able then to populate the earth with, with what would become the Jewish people. And even in that, Abraham believed God to a point, but when it didn't happen immediately, he decided he would, at Sarah's behest, take on her handmaid, Hagar, and try to fulfill God's promise through his own actions, not having the faith or that God was doing it quick enough. And out of that came Ishmael, which would become the enemy of, of the Jewish people even to today, the, the father of the Arab peoples out of which Islam has sprung up. 
That's absolutely right. And so we can see the rejection there of that dispensation. So, so far we've got innocence, conscience, government, promise. And then next we have law, which it's specifically speaking of the Levitical law. Now, this is, this is something that is important for us to understand. Okay, of course, um, we know that Israel ended up rejecting Christ even when he came to fulfill that promise. And of course, we know that they could not fulfill the law completely. They couldn't go and perfectly uphold the Levitical law. Now, we are no longer under the Levitical law. We're no longer under that dispensa dispensation. Now, remember, a, a dispensation has nothing to do with how somebody gets saved. It has nothing to do with a time period, but rather it's how God is administering his will. It is a ruling factor, what's ruling in our life. God's standard doesn't, doesn't change. From the time of innocence, to the time of conscience, to the time of promise, to, I skipped government, sorry, <laughs> to the time of government, promise, uh, law, his Morality doesn't change. God's standard doesn't change. God is immutable. He doesn't change. This is a misunderstanding today about dispensationalism, and it's a part of dispensationalism that almost every brand and stripe of Christian goes and adopts because they like to justify lawlessness. God is never for lawlessness. He never was for lawlessness. He's not for lawlessness today because the next dispensation is the dispensation of grace. Now, people like to go and say, we're no longer under law, we're under grace. Now, it's true, we're not under the Levitical law, okay? We can eat shrimp, okay? We can eat bacon. Amen, we can do that, right? Those are more the ritual laws set aside for specifically the chosen people, the Jews, to set them apart from the surrounding nations and peoples that were not the chosen. So these were their way of, of showing... A, a, a reverence above and beyond ritual laws before God, which is different than the moral laws that God established in right. the Levitical law or the Mosaic law for all of humanity. That is universal, whereas the ritual right. law was specifically to the people at that time and place. That's absolutely right. And when it comes to dispensationalism, grace, people like to go and say, now we're in the age of grace, and so people are now saved through grace before they were saved through law, before they were... Wait, how were they saved through promise? How were they saved through government, how were they saved through conscience, and how were they saved through innocence? That's not how dispensationalism works. People are always saved by grace through faith. That's, that's the idea of through Abraham, faith. by grace through faith. He believed God, God accounted it to him as righteousness. That's by grace through faith. Now, we look at this idea, what does it mean then to be in the age of grace? The age of grace means that grace is now a ruling factor. It is the motivation as to why we please God, why we serve God. Just as law before, it was a motivation. Hey, if you didn't obey God's standard, he would you'd get killed, generally. <laughs> yeah, in Leviticus, <laughs> I mean, you find several uh, sins that were worthy of the death penalty. Right. Now, grace, it's teaching us that this is how we are to live because we're under grace, because grace is working in our life because of what God has done for us something that was undeserved, it is our reasonable service, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 puts it, to 
be a living sacrifice or to live for God. That's how that works. That's what it means when we say that we're under grace and not under law. It's not that God's law is made void. It's not that his morality isn't there. It's something different. And that last dispensation, to go over it quickly, is that dispensation of Christ's kingdom or kingdom, as we would call it. Some would go the eighth dispensation if you believe in eight dispensations, uh, which I understand the, the rationale behind it would be uh, the new heaven and new earth after the kingdom. But uh, we're just about out of time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good overview of that. And we would recommend um, certainly Reynolds Shower's books that he's written to kind of give you that overview. There, What's the name of that book again? There Really Is a Difference. There Really Is a Difference. So uh, look this stuff up. If you have questions, contact us. Sam is our professor. Well, for the Shining Light Podcast, this is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise with evil Wyatt. Have a great day. You hear him talking about evolution.